welcome to this Touch podcast activity, which has been recorded for Touch Endocrinology. This podcast aims to bring you expert and patient perspectives on the medical management of patients with Cushing's disease and the importance of optimising patient outcomes in the multidisciplinary team setting. This activity is funded by an independent medical education grant from Recordati Rare Diseases and Zeris Pharmaceuticals, Inc. This activity is jointly provided by USF Health and Touch IME. In this podcast, a pituitary surgeon, an endocrinologist and a patient with Cushing's disease in remission discuss key challenges in the management of Cushing's disease, including diagnostic delay and associated comorbidities, and outline treatment goals for the medical management of Cushing's disease. Hello, my name is Dr. Timothy Smith and I'm a neurosurgeon scientist and the surgical director of the Multidisciplinary Pituitary Center at Brigham and Women's Hospital and Harvard Medical School in Boston, Massachusetts. Today, I am joined by Dr. Larry Katznelson. He's a professor of neurosurgery and endocrinology at Stanford University School of Medicine and the medical director of the Pituitary Center there. In addition, I'm joined by Ms. Sharman McGraw. She's from Orange County, California, and she's been in remission for 23 years with Cushing's disease and has been a longstanding advocate both nationally and internationally for pituitary patients. In this section today, we'll be discussing the challenges in the medical management of patients with Cushing's disease. Larry, could you, could you help explain to us what is Cushing's syndrome and Cushing's disease? Sure. Thank you so much, Tim. I think it's important first to set uh, the definitions of Cushing's syndrome and Cushing's disease. So Cushing's syndrome refers to a disorder associated with high levels of steroids or glucocorticoids. The most common cause internationally is iatrogenic, meaning patients who are taking too much steroids for other uh, medical disorders. If one looks at the endogenous causes of Cushing syndrome, where there is disorder emanating from a tumor or other disease within the body, the most common cause is Cushing disease, which refers to a pituitary tumor that's producing ACTH. Now, just for the sake of definitions, we divide the types of Cushing syndrome into those which are ACTH-dependent, meaning that somewhere in the body, most commonly a pituitary tumor, is producing excess ACTH to drive the adrenal gland to make too much cortisol. Uh, in contrast, ACTH-independent forms of Cushing syndrome refer to those diseases where the ACTH levels are low, usually because of an adrenal tumor or other adrenal disorder. Today, we will be discussing Cushing's disease. Now, Cushing's disease is uncommon. It has a prevalence of approximately 2.2 cases per 100,000 people internationally. So this is a rare disorder in general, and that's why it's often undiagnosed. Uh, many clinicians don't see Cushing's disease during their career. And uh, if they do, it may be with patients who do not have the full phenotype. If you look back at the pictures that you've seen probably over time of, of, of full, um, full-on Cushing's syndrome with the changes including the changes in fat deposition, the moon face, the purple striae, it's hard often to diagnose because patients may not have all of these um, findings. And even if they do, oftentimes the patients go undiagnosed for years. And it may be 5, 10, or more years before a patient is diagnosed. 
Now, one of the consequences of this uh, is the morbidity and mortality associated with Cushing syndrome. This is a multi-system disorder associated with many, many different comorbidities. For example, these patients frequently have hypertension, diabetes, hyperlipidemia, and therefore are at risk for cardiovascular disease. They also can have severe osteoporosis and may present with fractures of the hip or spine. These patients can be, can be immunocompromised and maybe are at risk for infection just because of the presence of the high steroid levels. In addition, these patients often have depression. There may be psychiatric disorders associated with this, with mood disturbances, and so mood can be a problem with, with patients. In addition, uh, mostly noted by the women who, by the way, are the uh, preponderance of patients who have Cushing's disease, there may be hirsutism, acne, kind of antigen type of findings that are seen. And the mortality rates are higher in patients with Cushing syndrome, likely related to all of these comorbidities we just discussed, predominantly those of cardiovascular disease. So therefore, this is a disorder which has multi-system uh, complications. I'm gonna pass uh, back to you, Tim, for the further conversation. Thank you, Larry. Yeah, that's been my experience as well, is that patients that come in with Cushing's disease essentially have almost every organ system affected in some way. And as you've mentioned, most of the symptoms are not pathognomonic for Cushing specifically, so at least a lot of delays. We have with us uh, a patient who has been living with Cushing, uh, Charmin McGraw. And I just want to ask you, Charmin, to talk to us a little bit about your journey, all the way from diagnosis to sort of what you were going through with respect to facing the treatment and then management over the long term. Thank you, Dr. Smith and Dr. Katznelson. It's so great to see you guys. And um, Larry, I, I so appreciate what you just said as a patient advocate for the last 23 years. Um, and I have been lucky to be one of the um, lucky ones that I've been in remission since my first pituitary surgery in 2000. But it, but things have not changed. Things have changed a lot. And I'm grateful for that. I feel we've moved the golf ball one inch closer to the sun. But as Larry was pointing out, there's a lot of pieces to this puzzle with Cushing's disease. And we're still seeing that even 23 years later. Um, of course, the high, you know, high volume centers um, actually see a lot of Cushing's patients. And so we learned a lot. But from my perspective, dealing with hundreds of Cushing's patients through the through the 23 years I've been doing this, plus my own experience in the beginning, I think part of the problem is there's so many pieces to this puzzle that the doctors are not recognizing it um, because maybe one doctor sees like I went to a, a, a dermatologist for the acne on my face. I went to a cardiologist for my heart racing. I went to, you know, a um, OBGYN thinking hormones. So as you can see, and that's not even counting the other doctors that I was seeing for maybe the joint pain and things like that. So putting the pieces together can be quite a challenge. As I as I finally got the diagnoses, um, some of the things that I dealt with from that level were that my ACTH was never over normal. So, you know, normal was 60, mine was 58. My cortisol levels were in the 200s, which range was um, up to 108. 
But that was still a challenge for a couple of the doctors that I saw because they didn't quite understand ACTH um, with the cortisol levels. Um, another problem that I had was my tumor was so small, it wasn't seen on the MRI. And so about 30% of tumors, I think it is, um, are not seen on the MRI. But through my IPSS, and we confirmed that the source of the Cushing's was the pituitary. And for me, I think the first stages, and for most patients that I talk to, um, anxiety is the first uh, noticeable problem and not sleeping at night. And this becomes a real issue, but it's a common issue um, in society. So it it's not alarming, you know, to send up flags that, oh, you have Cushing's. But then the moon face starts. And I think the moon face is really the, the leading, even if the stomach isn't protruding or patients are not gaining weight, which happens. But definitely there are changes in the face that I see mostly. So I think those are two of the biggest things that I noticed um, first is the anxiety, the sleeplessness and um, the weight gain. But as, when we talk about um the weight gain, a lot of people want to think it's just focused on the stomach, but like uh, Larry was saying, this is not always the case. And, you know, when we see thinning arms and legs, this is not always the case. And um, a lot of patients look pretty normal. There's, you know, I never had this striat. I never had, um, and most patients don't. So the trickier part of the diagnoses, I feel, is actually giving the patient the benefit of the doubt when they come and say these things and um, just do the testing to see if it could possibly be that. That's that's what I um, that's what I get most frustrated with is the lack of um, the patient being understood or listened to. Yeah, that's so important, which really brings us to the next thing we want to discuss, which is talking about treatment goals. And we can talk about them from the clinician's perspective. Larry, you could speak to this. When you talk to a patient, what do you discuss with them as the primary goals of treatment? Right. Well, thank you. Uh, the, the primary goal from a medical standpoint is to normalize the cortisol. That is to determine the source of the problem, such as Cushing's disease, the pituitary tumor, and manage it to the point where the cortisol levels come down to normal. Along with that, uh, in part because we are lowering the cortisol, we'll be to treat the, the uh, associated comorbidities, the blood pressure rise, the, the diabetes, the weakness, the osteoporosis, improve the quality of life. So this would all be part of lowering cortisol. But I want to make the important point that some of these comorbidities, such as hypertension, diabetes, may not completely resolve with therapy. So it is important for the clinicians to continue to monitor these comorbidities and treat them if, if they persist. Sharman, when you were first being treated, talk to us about what your goals were for treatment. Well, thank you. As Larry was mentioning, some of these things don't go away. And um, high blood pressure, although I'm very active and my diet is very good, my it, it kind of have a history in my family of high blood pressure. So my blood pressure since Cushing's has never, I'm still on medication for it. Um, the anxiety has gotten better and um, the sleeplessness has gotten better. But um, there are still things that 
are not better, which is primarily, I do not lose weight easily still. And my entire, it, you know, obesity does not run in my family. Everybody in my family is very fit. Um, so I am kind of the the odd man out. So it, it, I do believe it is because of the Cushing's that I still, even though my levels are completely normalized, I have never since Cushing's been able to lose all of the weight. I think that's the biggest issue for me. Yeah, that's a huge challenge. Well, thank you so much to Larry and to Sharman for joining us today for this discussion. Um, thank you so much for your insights, and we hope that you found these discussions useful. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this Touch podcast. You can access more content on this topic on Touch Endocrinology at www.touchendocrinology.com. Don't forget there are two other chapters in this series, so please listen in for further insights from the multidisciplinary team.